everyone. Welcome back to Porcelain Peak. I'm your host, Anthony Perez. That was our new intro, courtesy of Randy himself. I hope you all liked it. Before we get started, I wanted to talk a little bit about Randy's role with the show. So originally, he and I were going to co-host. Since then, Randy has decided to take a different role with the podcast. He's still going to be producing, which entails recording and editing and helping out with concepts. And he might jump in occasionally on some episodes. But for the most part, it is going to be me. And officially now, my new co-host will be John Brasher. Yeah. (laughs) Cue the the applause track. (laughs) Welcome to your first episode as official co-host of Porcelain Peak. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, no, it's been great having you in, and we've got a lot of good feedback. And so I'm glad to have you stick around. On this episode, we are going to discuss the movies that we mentioned last week in our final stretch of our October countdown. Spooktober. Spooktober, or Streamtober, (laughs) whichever one you want to call it. And after that, we are going to talk about some of our Halloween traditions. Yeah. And then give you a glimpse of what we'll be talking about in the next weeks to come since October is over. Before we do that, let's get into some horror and sci-fi news. First thing that I came across this week, which kind of blew my mind, is that LeBron James bought the rights to Friday the 13th. Yeah, we we talked about this a little bit before the episode, and this is a little baffling to me. And I don't know if it has anything to do with he's been known from time to time to wear a mask sometimes in his career as a basketball player. But it's just bizarre. I guess I should clarify. So it's not personally LeBron James, but he has a company, and they bought it. And so they're doing that and helming a new Space Jam starring LeBron James. But what's weird about this whole thing is that the guy that wrote the script for Friday the 13th, the original, went to court, got the rights. That's what LeBron's company bought. So they can make Friday the 13th movies. But in that original script, they didn't feature adult Jason Voorhees. So Sean Cunningham still owns the rights to adult Jason Voorhees. So if LeBron and his company do make a Friday the 13th movie, there's a chance that it wouldn't be able to feature Jason Voorhees as we know him. At the same time, Sean Cunningham can still make movies with Jason, (laughs) but can't call them Friday the 13th. It's like the Chucky thing that we talked about all over again. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean... The fact that we're going to have all of these big horror tent poles that are just going to be fracturing off into these different segments and getting these weird different releases is just going to be weird. It's kind of like how how we had the Jungle Book movie, and then now we have this other Jungle Book movie that's going straight to Netflix from Andy Serkis. It's like, who asked for two Jungle Book movies? Who <laughs> asked for a separate Jason who is not part of Friday the 13th? And vice versa. It's just weird. It's like, so who's going to be terrorizing Crystal Lake? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I wonder if they'll be that nitpicky about those type of things, too, where it's like, well, can we use Crystal Lake? Can, can we use Pamela? Can we put, say, can we put somebody in a goalie mask? Yeah. <laughs> can they exactly. use a machete? That's a good point. And since Jason's outfit does change as he gets older, mm-hmm. then I wonder, like, where where's the line? But there's a chance that those companies could work together to make a movie just is up to them whether or not they want to do that 
sometimes having that many hands in the pot can be a little of a bit, little bit of a hindrance, but sometimes it makes good things. Did you have any other news outside of that? That's all I got for at least uh, horror stuff. So I have a couple of things. As far as new releases are concerned, on Netflix they just released the uh, Sabrina series. Oh yeah. Uh, so th- that's actually getting pretty solid reviews. I want to say on it, it's an eight out of ten on IMDb right now. Pretty solid. It's apparently still in like that similar vein to Riverdale. So it kind of has those weird, creepy light, like, you know, almost like Twin Peaks kind of elements to it. Diet Twin Peaks. Exactly. I mean, I'm interested to check it out. It's on Netflix. I mean, it's all available right now. And they've already signed on for a second season in 2019. So, wow. it, like I said, it's getting pretty solid reviews. Some people are a little more skeptical about it than others. But I guess from what I've heard... Stick with it after the first episode, and you'll probably be pleasantly surprised. So we'll see how that goes. Real quick, before you move yeah. on, yeah. we put it on the other day, and so we did watch a few episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize – I should have. I didn't realize it was Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Yeah. Uh, I just thought they were using the name Sabrina. And I also didn't understand that that character originally took place – In Archie. In Archie, yeah. yeah. So that's why it does have that Riverdale feel. And so I was curious – when I was watching it, because it felt so similar, and I guess it was originally supposed to air on CW. Oh, wow. So it was supposed to be actually in the same universe as Riverdale on their network, but hmm. then Netflix bought bought it out. So. Interesting, kind of how they're doing with, like, Arrow and The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's cool, though. And the episodes are really long, close to 50 minutes, which for a TV show is on the bit of a longer side, but it's cool. Especially for one that's aimed more at, like, the... Like, the mid to high-level teenager. That's what I was curious, too. We were watching it. I was like, who's this show for? <laughs> but so far, it's been it's been cool. And then you had something else that you wanted to... Oh, yeah. Um, this one probably won't come as a shock to anybody who's watched what's happened with Star Wars over the course of the last, like, seven to eight months. They have officially announced that the anthology film they were planning on doing for Boba Fett is now not happening. That's a bummer. I heard about that, too, and I was kind of disappointed because I feel like that's a really cool character that could be explored. I wanted to see, like, a John Wick in space. <laughs> well, yeah, and and uh, I my thing with Boba Fett is that, like, he has a cool outfit. You know, the Mandalorian armor is iconic. Boba Fett as a character hasn't done anything. He's not this, like overpowered like ridiculous bounty hunter we only see him fail you know as far as the original trilogy is concerned so it's like i'd like to see him thrive i'd like to see him show a little bit more of what he's capable of doing i think that there's also a little bit of a shift as to what they're trying to do over over at disney as far as star wars is concerned i think that they're trying to aim more at things that you know from star wars but making an original story with them the concept that they're working with now is going to be called the mandalorian and it's going to be a television show i don't i don't know if it's going to be releasing on disney's streaming platform when that comes out or if it's going to be something that will actually go to like an abc channel or something like that we'll see in the coming months what that actually shows the concept for it sounds pretty interesting basically it's going to be like a rogue bounty hunter and who is not necessarily boba fett but has the mandalorian armor he's just referred to as the mandalorian so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. If that's cool, then sign me up for it. I'm all I'm all for something new and original in Star Wars. Yeah, and John Favreau is supposed to be helming that project, right? Yes, and he's got a pretty good track record. So I, I mean, look at Iron Man. Iron Man was dope. Highest rated Marvel movie, I think. Right? If 
if it hasn't been overtaken by one of the most recent ones, then yes. And that Jungle Book, like he had mentioned earlier, his Jungle Book was fantastic. Uh, Chef. Chef was a good one, too. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So then that's all that I had for news. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? I think that's it. Then let's jump into the trivia section. Yeah. So I didn't read them off last time, but the sections on this trivia are, or the categories, I should say, are monster, gore slash disturbing, psychological, paranormal, killer, and international. Your question is going to be from the paranormal category. Bring the bit back. Okay, here we go. In The Ring 2002, what must be done to the sinister videotape in order to survive after viewing it? Passed along, I believe. You're half there. It's make a copy. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been since the early 2000s since I've seen that movie. Yeah, so, I mean, pass it on is still correct. They just wanted the specific another copy. method. They yeah. wanted another copy. So the one that I have is going to be from the gore disturbing section. This one states, The Midnight Meat Train from 2008 was based off of a short story of the same name by what author? I don't know. Neil Gaiman? Uh, no, but I, I could see why Neil Gaiman would be on that list. It's uh, Clive Barker. Oh, that makes so much sense. Dang it. And we both struck out this week. <laughs> but you were closer than I was. All right, so with our strikeouts on the records, we're going to go ahead and hop into our movies for the last week. We gave you a list of seven movies, so I'll go ahead and start off with my first movie, and that was The Conjuring. The concept for my week was specifically picking modern classics, things that people will watch around Halloween you know, for years and years to come for whatever reason. Uh, the Conjuring is a great like psychological new jump scares and just this really cool concept around this haunting that's taking place at this house. It's just, it sets things up so well. It's so creepy. And the characters have such a good rapport. It has one of the best jump scares of the last, like, ten years. The It just, it catches you completely off guard. It ties back to other parts of the story. And I like that it it's centered around these people that exist in other franchises you know basically are the basis for the amityville horror stories they have this really cool concept and they they just do it so well it's one of those movies where like i've seen it several times now and the scares still get you it still gets you with the tension it still ratchets things up i mean it's a, it, it is a modern classic for a reason it's going to continue to be that thing that people will watch on the first through the 31st for several years there's that scene that always gets me when the girls are in the room, they share a room, right? Yeah. And one of them sits up and is just staring into the quarter. And the amount of tension that is built in that scene without doing anything, it, it blows my mind. Because that scene, I'm thinking about it getting the chills. Like, that <laughs> scene is so good. Because she just stares so intently on that quarter into the shadows. And it could be anything. It could be nothing. You just don't know until you get through the scene. And, ah, oh, I love that. Yeah, that movie's cool. Well, and it spawned a franchise. I mean, that, there's definitely something to be said about that. Like, if you look at the look at the parts instead of looking at the whole, there are some there's some dead weight in there. Uh, the Conjuring Two isn't as good as the first Conjuring. Annabelle is good. Though. It's still pretty good, but it's de- like the first Conjuring is is by far the best of that series. Yeah. And then Annabelle was pretty boring, but Annabelle Creation was really solid. And then I know you saw the Nun. 
if you want to want more information about Anthony's opinion on the nun, there are a few episodes back that you can listen to where he <laughs> talks about it in depth. But the fact that I mean, at this point, there are five movies. Some of them are spinoffs, and they're planning on doing more. Like it's it's a it's a heavyweight at this point, and it's for a good reason. It has great foundation laid by by this particular movie. Yes, I think that they're talking about doing the tall man from Conjuring 2, right? Mm-hmm. That's the next one I think that I think they're talking so. about doing, which I thought was cool in that movie. Yeah. And I had thought that it was stop motion, mm-hmm. but that's just a guy that can move like he's being animated, I guess, <laughs> which is even creepier. A lot of practice. Yes. With The Conjuring, it laid a great foundation for a series that I'm, I'm excited to see more things from. Like I said, The Nun notwithstanding, like, you know, if, you know, whether or not you liked that film, there are some great moments in all of these movies you know even if it's even if they're sparse and few and far between or if they're if they lay them on thick like they do with the original like this movie is definitely worth sitting down and watching if you haven't watched it already and i hope that we haven't spoiled anything like i said there are some of the coolest and most innovative jump scares of the last 10 years in this movie and they're not cats (laughs) 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 Let's jump into my first one then, and the first one that I watched this week was Emily. That was another one, like I had mentioned last week, that I added to my list without knowing what it was about. Just had heard good things through research. This one is about a woman who pretends to be a babysitter and is hired by a family and then does really weird things with the kids. Weird as far as babysitting goes, Mm -hmm. lets them eat candy and color on the walls and stuff. But then things start to take a more sinister turn. And I don't want to give away too much, but it did remind me of that movie on Netflix, The Babysitter, which came out recently. Yeah. But that was more of a comedy. This is very serious in tone. You can see that from the beginning. She's messing with the kids and letting them do things they're not supposed to be doing, but she has this almost evil grimace Mm. while she's doing it. Like an ulterior motive that you can like, yeah. tell is there. Exactly. And the tension's so good. It builds and it builds and you don't know what her purpose is or what's going on. And as the movie progresses, it gets pretty intense. Mm-hmm. The kids are good. They're kind of blind to what's going on because they are a little bit younger. I liked it a lot. I thought it was well executed. I thought the acting from everybody was done well. My only complaint really would be the ending. It was a little bit anticlimactic. Mm -hmm. And after going on that journey for the hour and a half or however long the running time is, I felt a little bit let down by that. It was satisfying, but it wasn't what I wanted. I was like, oh, okay. It worked, but I wanted a bit more. Yeah. Because of the tension that was built. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that full of like a full release for me. But other than that, good movie. Yeah, it sounds like a like an interesting concept. Like you said, you know, maybe maybe it shares some minor minor similarities, being that it's about a babysitter uh, with the movie The Babysitter. But that is definitely a horror comedy. You know, it has yeah. King Bach of of uh, Vine fame in it. But it's a uh, it's an interesting concept. It sounds like something that I would definitely lo- love to watch. My biggest concern with movies that kind of fall flat at the end and don't have that that nice climax to them, like we talked about it with the fog. You know, I just did. If they feel like they end abruptly and they don't go anywhere with the time that you spent, it feels like a waste. But if it feels like there's at least some semblance of like sense made at the end and that it 
kind kind of wraps itself up. I'm willing to even go in for that, you know. And it has that. It does. It definitely like feels complete and it's over. But it just wasn't as like a big of for me. Yeah. But like I said, overall, good watch, and it had some elements that were pretty interesting. So I would recommend that. So the second movie on the list for me this week is one that can sometimes be a divisive film. I've heard a lot of people say that it's one of the scariest movies they've seen in the last like five years. I've seen a lot of people say that they didn't think that it was that scary. And I think part of the reason why I didn't watch it immediately when it came out was that there was this weird division and I wanted to give myself enough time to let the hype settle and figure out what I wanted to like the vantage point I wanted to take this movie from as. And that's the Babadook with the Babadook. It's, I wouldn't say that it's outright terrifying. There aren't any crazy jump scares. I mean, there are a couple little things here and there, but it is a master of building tension. You can tell something is off very early on and slowly ramps up and then maybe it might give you a little a little tiny twist of the release valve and then it tightens it back up and keeps going and building that tension and it was just i was like like whoo i'm getting like heart palpitations watching this movie it was real to me like it's about this basically like ridiculous over-the-top monster that's basically kind of like a shade of like postpartum depression or just straight up depression like that manifests itself inside of you and Basically, there's this book, and there's this mother and son, and the son picks out the book to read before bed, and the son is kind of like a troubled child. He has these weird, like, idiosyncrasies, and I don't want to give away too much about the plot if you want to watch this, but like I said, as far as the concept is concerned, they read this book, and this book has this character called the Babadook, or Mr. Babadook, and it's this very creepy, long man with these really long, claw-like fingers, And he has this really stark white face. And it just, it has a really creepy feel to it. But it also, it shows how strong emotions, you know, one way or the other can affect just your daily existence. And how it can affect the people that you care about. And man, he said, if this this movie is not birth control on a dvd i don't know what is (laughs) like this little kid like he like grinds your gears for a little while and then as time goes on and the more things you see you start to you start to understand why those things are happening and it just like the dynamic between between the two actors in this is just it's so raw and so emotion filled and just it's it was it was an experience and I felt like the ending was a little weird, and I don't know if it made a whole lot of sense. Uh, And like I said, I don't want to dig too too far in. If you haven't seen this, I don't want to spoil it. I went in as blind as possible. I knew about the book, and I knew about the character. And that was about it. By the way, I want this book. They sell them. I, I want it. I want it. It's so cool. I want it all torn up. We won't dig into that at all. But I want it like to just look all like gnarled and, and like used. I want it. Without saying too much about what happens at the end. Like I said, I just felt like there was symbolism there and that I could appreciate. But it felt like it was a little too much of an upturn for what had happened for the previous 20 minutes right before it. Because that the ending, like I said, before you get to the actual end credits, like the whole climax of that movie is a roller coaster. 
what I took from that movie was I, I thought it was scary. Mm. I thought there were definitely some scary parts. For me in particular, the scene when she is looking across her and into her neighbor's window, you know? And yeah. And he's there and you're like, oh that I mean, again, chills. Mm. And then the scene when she's at the police station and she's like sees a coat that slightly resembles him. Yeah. And it's that stuff where you start to question whether or not she is having mental issues Mm -hmm. as well as the son. And so for me, what this movie was, was like you were saying, it's about depression. It's a, I took it as it's about loss Yeah, and it's about your grief and how you deal with that and how that manifests into its own thing. So you get to see this relationship between this mother and son and how they're both dealing with loss and what that means to different people and what can that can become. So it's almost like the personification of their grief. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was beautiful. It's definitely a psychological horror movie where you have to think about it. And so you're starting to not really know what's real, what's going on, whose perspective is accurate and has a lot of scary stuff and the ending for me and this may or may not be a little bit of a spoiler so skip ahead yeah i I give it a give it a good 20 to 30 seconds and we'll catch back up with you i'm not gonna say exactly what happens but the ending for me felt like it was saying you have your grief and you have your loss and that's what you're dealing with and you have to live with it and you have to live with that yeah it's not gonna go away and so you need to find a way to keep that contained, I guess. Yeah, and like I said, it, it, it definitely has symbolism that makes a lot of sense. It's just, like I said, the the upturn is just, it's a little jarring. But I also feel like that's kind of how life works. It's it's a roller coaster. It's up and down. You know, you deal with the ups, you deal with the downs. And it's, there were several moments in this movie where I was like, choked up, like on the verge of tears. Like, there were, like being someone who who really has a an understanding vantage of what depression feels like and what it looks like and understanding people's different, you know, backgrounds and, you know, being able to have empathy for the way that things happen to characters. Like I said, there were there were some moments in very early on where I hated the kid. And then as things progressed, you saw things from his perspective a little bit and it lets you behind that curtain and shows how other people treat him and and because just you know, just because he's a little bit different, and that was that was hard to watch. It was like I could relate to that, you know. You always feel like there's something, something there, you know, something that is is telling you to think one way or think the other way. And if you try to push back at any of that as a counterculture, it it bucks back at you pretty hard if you if you venture too far out. And I was definitely one of those kids, so it was like. And definitely not at, to this extent. You know, I wasn't, you know, manufacturing makeshift weapons and <laughs> and worried about monsters until I was into my, you know, into my like almost to the double digits. But I definitely understand what that feels like, at least on some level. So I had a lot of empathy for that character as time went on in the movie as well. I think for me, the only part that I didn't enjoy about that movie was at one point they use a lot of CG to show the Babadook mm-hmm. like crawling around. Yeah. And that really is the only part where that movie kind of didn't work for me. It was just that one scene. Yeah. It, it was you know, there's a it's a bedroom scene and they could have they could have done more practical things and played with the light because the 
everything in that house is very grim and just like dank and just it doesn't it doesn't have a lot of like light sources so like you get all these weird like large shadows and there are all these like different like like coats and armoires and like all these different things that you could use for hiding and for making things work that one scene like i said sticks out a little bit as a kind of like a sore thumb the rest of the movie they did a lot of things with practical effects and they made the character i don't know if they did it with editing or if it was just the way the actor portrayed the role but they made it seem very like like herky-jerky and like kind of animated and it was just it was it was creepy and it was very entertaining to watch and like i said it was something where once once the movie was over and i got to let the release valve off i was like all right i can continue my day now (laughs) i'm glad um that you liked it i feel like you probably came in at a time when you didn't have to worry about the hype or Mm -hmm. the hate and you were able to just enjoy it my next one was a movie called afflicted and what that is i don't know if you've seen that one it's about a guy who is going on a year-long trip around the world, just traveling the world with his buddy. Mm. And one night, he hooks up with a lady, and his friend goes to check on him to be a blocker, ah. and finds him in their hotel pretty messed up with a big gash on his arm that looks sort of like a bite. So throughout the next part of the movie, he slowly starts kind of transforming first he gets really strong then he can't go out in the daylight then he has a problem with regular food so slowly this guy is becoming a vampire it's all handheld and that found footage type of thing but it doesn't ever feel shaky it looks really good it's fun Mm-hmm. It's an interesting story, and it's cool to see that because at one point they think he's a superhero, and you get to kind of see how that develops. And then about halfway through, it takes this really dark turn. And then the rest of that movie gets violent, and it gets pretty messed up, and you don't really know how you're supposed to feel because that's the character you're with. That's the character you've been building with, mm-hmm. but he is turning into a monster and starts to do things that are questionable and so they have you almost rooting for the protagonist. The tension builds throughout the whole thing, you know, because you don't really know what's going on or how it's happening. And I went in super blind. So even though I just gave away basically the whole movie, I didn't tell you how things escalate or where it escalates to. So I think it's worth checking out to see what's going to happen. I never felt bored. I was always very interested in what was going on. And it kept going and it held my interest the entire time. And the ending paid off because it's all attention. And then once you get there, it felt it felt good. It felt right. And it wasn't the happiest of endings, but I don't always need that. And it is a horror movie, so you don't really need that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, we were talking about it the week that I did Zombies is my theme. Like, that it seems like, you know, zombies are coming to the end of their train, and we're getting closer and closer to that territory where we might see vampires be a big thing again. So far, I think you've talked about two or three different newer vampire films. So, I mean, I think that shows that there is a shift, that we may see things go away from the zombie for a while and that they may come back. The big thing is that vampires have been out for a while. There have been a lot of people coming up with cool concepts. So, like, I'm definitely down to sit down and watch some new vampire stories and try to get get on that train early before it goes away. The idea of a vampire is scary. Yeah. And I think that can be explored more. And they can even do, you know, some more kids ones like Lost Boys. 
All right, man. So what's going to be your next one? <laughs> you said it already. <laughs> the next one for my list is your next. Man, this one is a this one's a an interesting one to talk about. So this is one that I missed when I came out to theaters. I saw the trailers for it, and I said, "This looks really interesting. It looks like it's kind of a weird take on like the revenge type movie, or like the what's the home invasion? Home invasion. You know, the home invasion genre. It doesn't do a whole lot of really new things, but it gives you some legitimate reasons to believe that the one versus the many could potentially survive." She does all the right things. I mean, there's this, it's this big event. The parents are having uh, a wedding anniversary. I believe it's like 35 years or something ridiculous like that. And they're at this house out in the middle of nowhere. And it's a massive palatial house. And they bring all of their children and their children's significant others. And the, your central character is one of the significant others. And... They don't tell you a lot about her backstory. She has like a British accent and she's a little bit different like as far as the way that she thinks about things and she tries really hard to impress everybody. You can tell that there's a lot of tension built up in this family like that there there's issues that everybody has with the dad and the mom. There are issues that all the siblings have with each other. It just all the tension builds to a head during this dinner and then all of a sudden somebody gets up and walks towards a window and catches an arrow to the face and then everything just escalates from there. It turns from this like this really like heady psychological like back and forth to an invasion film. There's really interesting ways that they play around with some of the conventions. Um, there are definitely twists and turns. I don't want to give away anything else as far as like the plot devices are concerned, but the kills in this are next level good. They do some of the coolest things I've seen in a while, and I was super down like there was a there was a point with a specific kill I, I don't know if i should give away that's up to you all right so there's a specific kill with a blender and the blender gets broken like the actual like the glass part but the blades are still there and so it gets slammed down onto someone's head and i'm at the edge of my edge of my seat clapping and cheering for for her to plug it in and turn it on and it did not disappoint. <laughs> I mean, like I said, this movie was gruesome. And it built tension in such a nice way. And there were payoffs for everything. And it just had a, it had a really interesting vibe. It takes a lot of homages from you know, other different you know, genres of horror. There are little bits and pieces here and there that you could be like, oh, that's, you know, that's from this franchise or that franchise. And it just it, it felt like a love letter to that to that invasion style genre. And like I said, and it gave that main character legitimate motivations that felt right. I haven't seen it since it was in theaters. I remember enjoying it, maybe being a little bit predictable, Mm -hmm. but that's not really what you're in the movie for. Yeah. It's more about like you were saying, like the kills and like the tension and just to see how it all unfolds, you know, and it does a great job of that from what I remember. And I won't give away, like you said, anything, but the ending was very reminiscent of other films, mm-hmm. but in the best of ways. Yeah, because you were like, "Oh, man!" Yeah, they gave you things. They gave you things to enjoy and to squeal in excitement and a little bit of gruesomeness up till the very last bite. And I, I love that. I love when a movie snaps you out with something cool. That brings us to my last movie for this week, which was "The Houses That October Built 2. Have you seen the first one? No. 
basically what this is, it's a group of friends and they go around the country exploring haunted houses. Mm -hmm. And as they're doing it, they start getting sort of stalked by another group. Things go pretty badly for them. And I don't want to spoil the ending of that movie, but this movie takes number two takes place basically after that. So mm-hmm. what happens next? Like what's the aftermath of what happened to this group? And we get to see them going back out, slowly dipping their toes into exploring the haunted scene again. They start off with some pretty light stuff doing mm-hmm. zombie runs and haunted hay rides. But then things escalate. And it builds and it builds, and the ending is wild. I can't tell you anything without uh, giving anything away, but it once the ending happens, it takes off. I was scared, mm-hmm. and it was good. But I was also very hesitant because I had seen the first one and how they did it, and I wasn't sure how they were going to play around with it. That being said, I enjoyed the movie, but the second act needed needs some work. First one builds. We get we get our characters back. We're seeing what they're doing. We're getting the premise of what's happening next. The second act is them doing the same thing. So we spend a lot of time going into haunted houses without it doing anything to push the story forward. Yeah, it's just showing us cool haunted things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you had a movie from last week that had a similar problem. Yeah, yeah. So similar to that, this one it was cool to see the stuff. So at least. With this, it was stuff happening, whereas mm-hmm. Dark Song was just the same thing over and over. This was different stuff, but it didn't push the story forward. Yeah. And so I lost a little bit of interest in what was happening because it wasn't doing anything for the plot. Once we hit the third act, like I was saying, then the movie goes. And that's what you were waiting for. Yeah. And so I enjoyed the ending of it. For me, though, my biggest problem with this movie is at the beginning they tell you something specifically and then that doesn't actually happen in the film and so for me i thought that that was a way for them to build tension Mm -hmm. for the audience by lying to us and i felt like that was a real disservice to fans and to audience members in general yeah because you can't lie to the audience that's not fair was very disappointed by that well yeah you shouldn't have points in your movie that break other points in your movie. Overall, I would say that I enjoyed it. I think if you're a fan of the first one, then you will enjoy this one. They're very comparable. And the ending, for me, I thought was pretty good. It twists what you think is going to be a couple times. Mm -hmm. And so that was really enjoyable for me. Yeah, so the last one on my list is one of my most recent favorites. And I know that this one's going to be an interesting discussion because I know that you have some different feelings about this movie than I do. Cabin in the Woods. The reason why I put this on a modern classics list, a a list of movies that people will watch in October for years and years to come, is because this movie does a better job at being a spiritual successor to Scream than Scream 3 does. It has all of the camp... And all of the meta humor built in. It has two interesting storylines that happen simultaneously. And it builds builds to this crazy climax. And there's just there's so much going on and so many different like little layers to characters. And 
There are, there are obviously some things that are kind of left by the wayside. You do have to suspend some things as far as belief is concerned, which is fine. It's a movie that ex- seems like it should be and is expected to be ridiculous. And I loved every minute of it. It was a, I've, you know, I've revisited it several times and it's just, it has so much punch and so much weight for me because like I said, because it takes so much from previous horror movies and it builds something that is at times very funny and at times very shocking. And it just builds all of these characters up to have these interesting interactions and to see, you know, if something's going to happen and then it's going to be funny or something's going to be, you know, pretty terrifying or if it's just going to be just interesting to watch. And like I said, I, th- I feel like they were very successful in what they did. Uh, you could definitely tell it has Joss Whedon's little touches over, over all of it. You know, like I said, it has that camp, it has that, that flair and it has that originality, especially for something that takes so much reference from other things. For me, when I watched it the first time, I did not like it. Mm-hmm. And then I had a roommate that loved it. And so I revisited it. And I enjoyed it more than I did my first watch. Mm-hmm. But I still didn't love the movie. Yeah. And it's been a while since I had that revisit. So I'm not even 100% sure why I wasn't head over heels for it. So I would think that I would love it. But yeah, I just, it just didn't, it didn't do it for me as much as it did for a lot of other people. And like I said, and that, that I find, you know, shocking personally because it <laughs> takes, like, you are a big proponent of uh, the Evil Dead trilogy. You have a tattoo of it on your body. And this takes <laughs> so many references from that. And it just, it takes so many references from so many good franchises and it takes them and makes them its own thing. And the characters are so interesting to watch. And it just has, you know, it. It takes little nods from Sam Raimi. It takes little nods from John Carpenter. It takes little nods from Wes Craven, and it just does all these really cool things. And it's it's just it's a it's a love letter to the horror genre. And that was you know being someone who who is in love with the horror genre, it it spoke to me, you know. And I like is while it is a different a different subgenre of of meta horror from Scream. It's like I said, I feel like it is this generation's Scream. I can see that completely. I don't hate the movie. Yeah. I like the movie. I just don't love the movie, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. We'll have to we'll, – we'll do it one of these days, and you and I will sit down, and we'll, we'll watch it again, get some popcorn, and we'll do it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm down for that. So that's the end of our movie discussion from last week. There are still three days left in October. Typically for me, what I do is I'll watch – Trick or Treat on the 30th, mm-hmm. and then on Halloween, I watch Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> that brings us to what we're going to do next, and so we are going to talk about our Halloween traditions. Yeah, so, um, like I said, you have, you have specific movies that you like to watch leading up to Halloween, like that last couple of days, just to get you really pumped, you know, for Trick or Treaters and for costumes and for all that fun stuff. Um, I love dressing up. I love dressing up for Halloween. I always like to find really cool costume ideas. And now that, you know, having a, uh, having a live-in significant other, uh, it makes you, it gives you so many more opportunities to, you know, when you're thinking of either doing single costumes or doing couples costumes or doing group costumes. Like, I love to find something cool to dress up as regardless of what the purpose is. You know, if it's just for fun or if it's a costume party, usually it's a costume party, uh, or... <laughs> Uh, the past few years, I've done uh, 
the the Mickey's Halloween party at Disneyland. That one is a, a lot of fun, and you can, like I said, thinking of a cool like Disney character to dress up as. Uh, last year, I dressed up as Star Lord. It's something that I really enjoy, and it's something that I feel like it has a connection for me to my childhood, and you know, being able to keep that connection loose and and still accessible, I feel like is important to you know staying sane as an adult, especially in today's world. <laughs> No, that's a good point because when you are a kid, dressing up is so much fun. And then when you hit, I don't know, some adolescent age, you're like, well, I'm not going to dress up anymore. I'm not going to go trick-or-treating anymore. And so then it's like, what do you do? And I feel like there's a few years where you stop dressing up. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you did, but I know I did, and I know other people have too. And then there's a point when you get old enough where you start going to parties and stuff. And then that's like, well, you got to dress up for these parties, and it becomes fun again. Yeah. And like you're saying, it is that connection to when you were a child and when you were growing up and it's like, Oh yeah, I've had such a blast trick or treating. I remember that feeling I would get and how yeah. pumped I'd get. And you're just mingling with a bunch of people and it's just mischief. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's fun. And then you get to do that as an adult and now there's just liquor. <laughs> so it's fun li- again. Say liquor is fun. <laughs> uh as far as like that weird gap. I, I mean, I know for sure that I fell into that as well, where I was like, oh, you know, trick-or-treating's for kids. And, like, I, I mean, I wish I'd hung on, on to that longer. Like, there was a small part of me, because I have a six-year separation with my sister. So there was a small part of me when she was, like, six or seven, and I was getting into those teenage years where I was like, oh, I don't want to dress up. I don't want a costume. I don't want to do with all this stuff. But I was also jealous that she was young enough to enjoy those experiences. And I, I was like... Like, what's wrong with me? Like, why do I not like this anymore? Like, I mean, the concept of walking from house to house and getting candy is, while it is enticing, you know, once you get into that weird area where your attention span's not as big as it used to be, you get kind of bored, especially in modern society where you have things like video games and readily accessible movies and television shows that take you away from those things. Pop culture is a succubus sometimes. And like I said, I feel like focusing on making a costume as an adult just has that, it has that, that nostalgic feeling. And it also allows you to flex that creativity muscle. You know, if you don't have, you know, a horror sci-fi podcast to talk about, (laughs) to talk about how you feel about pop culture, you know, it could potentially be something that gets stopped up and you get to that, like, weird drone mentality where you're just slogging on day after day, going to the job, going home, going to the job, going home, you know, having that creative outlet, even if it's just once a year is definitely something to talk about. Uh, I attended Anthony's Halloween party over the weekend and it was a blast. Uh, I dressed up as Steve and my wife dressed up as Dustin from stranger things. That's so cool. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, uh, very cool costume. We won the best couple costume. Uh, for yeah, the day, the top banana. We were the top banana, <laughs> um, but also Anthony was like, "Oh, I have a Halloween present for you," and he gave me a steelbook copy of Halloween Three: Season of the Witch. And because we've talked about it on the podcast, we've talked about it just in passing. Like it is an underrated gem from that series, just because it it doesn't rely on that heavy presence of Michael Myers to make a cool story, and. The steelbook is 
unbelievably gorgeous. Gorgeous. Just fully wrapped. The image is all one complete piece. So when you open it up, it just spans from one end to the other of the cover, and it just looks so legit. Loved it so much I bought one for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the whole Halloween gift thing is a tradition when my buddy started a couple years ago. And he did it originally with the girl he was dating, but then he was like, hey, do you want to adopt this and we'll just exchange (laughs) gifts on Halloween? And I was like, yeah, that's the dopest thing I've ever heard. Of course, let's do that. So (laughs) I'll be doing that with him. John and I just started doing it this year. And it's pretty cool. It's not anything extravagant, but it's a little slice of Christmas, I guess, for the horror fans. Yeah. Not that those things are mutually exclusive, because I also love Christmas. Yes. I mean, and and I mean, it's it's easy because we grew up with a with a connection between the two holidays with Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it it literally connects the two things. What's the worst thing you've ever received trick or treating? I know for me, it was a pencil. <laughs> a pencil? <laughs> yeah. And then we had a lady that would always give us a toothbrush. Mm. Yeah, I, I got a few toothbrushes from here. You know, from time to time, I had somebody hand out. Ziploc bagged stalks of celery. Well, yeah, I think he went. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty rough. Like I like I enjoy celery as much as the next guy, you know. But it usually comes with ranch or peanut butter, and it's <laughs> and it's delicious. But you know, just some stalks of celery, like, and it's in a Ziploc bag. You know, in the era that we grew up in, where you were worried about if things were open that there were going to be razor blades on the inside of them. Right. You know. Uh, it was definitely a, a a throwaway thing. It was like a like oh thank you so much. My mom's gonna toss that out immediately. Immediately. <laughs> the best thing that I ever received was when it's toward the end of my trick or treating career, and in the town I lived in there was a gated community, mm-hmm. and we ended up getting into it that night Ooh. and trick or treating in there, and someone gave out king size Snicker bars. Nice. <laughs> As a kid, when you're trick or treating, that's that's the ultimate. Fine. Yeah. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a a, a tradition uh, during my during my career as a trick or treater. Uh, we had a family friend who lived like two or three blocks away from us, and it was a little too far to walk. So it was something where we would go do our rounds around the neighborhood. We had like a like a three or four street area with just long streets where we could just hit house after house after house. And we, I mean, we'd make good hauls. Like I mean, it was you know, we'd have. Uh, Mom would always have us do like the little like the little jack lantern bucket, but we'd also have the big pillowcase that <laughs> one of the parents would hang on to, and we'd dump you know individual pillowcases. You know, it wasn't, they weren't heathens and made made a share. <laughs> so we would dump out the pumpkin when it was full, and then we'd have this big pillowcase full of candy when it was all said and done. But this family friend would always expect us around nine thirty, ten o'clock. We'd pile into into mom's car, take us over to the friend's house, and it would be. Just a huge selection of king size candy bars, and you just you just walk up, grab two or three of them, and they always like you know they take pictures of us and talk about our costumes and if we had fun and it was just it was something that was really interesting and it was a, it was always a, that that nice nightcap that nice end piece <laughs> to make the night you know extra special. That sounds cool. I'm glad that we both had fun trick or treating experiences. <laughs> Some other traditions I like to carve pumpkins i do it every year mm-hmm. lately i've gone to the foam ones that they sell at target and stuff like that the reason being is no guts to deal with yeah also the downside of that is you don't get to make pumpkin seeds which i also love and my favorite part though is that they don't rot 
so you get to create it and then it lasts you forever. Yeah. I still have some from a couple of years ago. This year I did Frankenstein's Monster, mm-hmm. the old Karloff one. And my partner did Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And so we had those together. And then I, and since Halloween came out this year, I did the original Jack-O-Lantern from the opening of that movie too. And I loved them. They came out pretty good. If you're interested in seeing those, I'll post them on the website so that you can check those out. I love carving pumpkins. It's fun and it's difficult and challenging, <laughs> but the result can be great. You yeah, they mean? turn out really cool. Like I, like I really enjoyed uh, your selection this year. Um, my wife got to join in with some of the pumpkin carving as well. She picked out a few, a few uh, foam foam pumpkins, and they did one. Uh, that was a uh, Mary Poppins, <laughs> and it turned out really, really nice. Yeah, that and was good. it's it's definitely a way to flex those creative muscles. Like I said, and I feel like like I said, October is a perfect time for that. Yeah, you know, you know, you're just done with that hot heat from the summer, and you're starting to get into where you know it's nice in fall, and it's pumpkin everything everywhere, <laughs> and you get to start breaking out the sweaters, and it's... it's The red and green striped ones. Yeah, specifically the red and green striped ones. And don't forget your knife gloves. <laughs> your knife gloves. <laughs> Mr. Knife Gloves. Mr. Knife Gloves. <laughs> um, and it's just... It's, it's something that's really cool, and you could do some really interesting things with them. I wish that I had a steadier hand for it. <laughs> I am definitely more suited to like music, playing a guitar or a piano, but <laughs> definitely it's something that I wish I had a little more finesse with. Uh, but I, I imagine it's like I said, it, it, there's got to be some kind of like a a rush you get when when you're finally finished with it. You you know pop in uh, pop in that that light and check it out, and, and you know with the, all the lights turned out. Some other traditions for me, I obviously like to decorate the house, mm-hmm. so we have a bunch of stuff up right now, and I feel like, I don't know if I'm missing anything. Obviously, the 31 days countdown that we always do. Yeah. But for me, I think that's it. I think that's, as far as my traditions for Halloween go, I mean, obviously, on the night of, I'm going to watch Halloween and pass out candy. Yeah. I've been in an apartment complex for the last few years. So I didn't get any trick-or-treaters last year. So I'm hoping now that I'm in, especially in a court, that we'll I'll see some action. Yeah. So I, I want to get rid of this candy, because otherwise I'm going to eat it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we're going to eat a lot of that candy. The, the big thing now is that a lot of people go to these trunk-or-treats, the, mm. you know, the church, you know, church parking lot deal. And I understand, like, it's so much safer and, you know... You love your kids, and you want them to to survive, and you want them to not be placated by some like you know disgusting predator or you know hit by a car or something silly like that. But there was something about going door to door that just it has like I said it has that level of nostalgia, and you know you remember go, you know getting together with your friends and you know all the parents getting together i mean if you were if you were like my parents you know if my dad was there you know and the other dads were there they would bring beer and like they would just stand at the ed- edge of the curb while we all walked up and rang the doorbell and like like i said there you know there's something to be said about that and i it makes me sad for this generation that a lot of kids don't get that anymore. You know, they get to dress up and they get to go hang out with their friends. Sure. But there's, it's definitely different walking from one parking space to another, to someone's trunk and just grabbing a handful of candy. 
it's disappointing to me. Like, I, I wish the world were a better place where they could enjoy the things that we got to. And there's stuff that you learn during trick-or-cheating, too, that's, like, etiquette in a way about how exactly you should go up. You know, you don't, you're not rushing in. You're not elbowing people. you gotta, you got to drop the famous line. Yeah. You don't go to houses that have the light off, which is something that you don't. It's like this weird unspoken rule that everybody just knows. Yeah, it's yeah, it's one of those things where it just has this uh it's just so interesting how that concept is so ubiquitous without it being something that's talked about. And just that you know, you know like oh, if you're not going to be at the house, you turn off the light or if if you've got spooky dogs that like to bark like mine, you either turn the light off or you hang out at the end of the uh, the end of the uh End of the parkway over by the garage. <laughs> so there are so many little things that you learn. Like I said, you, like etiquette is a big thing and treating others with respect. Because I remember there was something that took place in a lot of neighborhoods around, around where I lived that, was, that I thought was abhorrent. It was just terrible where kids would walk around and they would steal other people's candy. And the fact that that I didn't partake in that when I was of that age, you know, that typical like 14 to 15, you know, like rebellious teenager age that I didn't go around doing that. I felt, I felt really good about that. And it was another, another reason why I feel like, like I said, my parents always, you know, came along when we went trick or treating. It wasn't something where we just went off and did our own thing. We could have, but it would have left us susceptible to something like that. Yeah. I never had that happen to me and I never did that to anybody. And I don't know of anybody that did. I wonder if it's just one of those legend things. Mm-hmm. But I like that idea of it where it's like, hold on to your candy, man. You know? <laughs> and, it, and it adds, when you're a kid, getting that candy is your goal. And that's yeah. like money to us <laughs> yeah. now. And to be scared that someone's going to come and take all your money <laughs> is scary. And so it adds another level, level of fear to Halloween. Yeah. And so I hope that, that if it's not true... I hope that it keeps pretending to be true. <laughs> but I don't hope anybody gets their candy stolen for yeah. real because that sucks. You put in a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's your little mini job. <laughs> Are there any other traditions that you want to talk about? Are we good there? Yeah, I, I can't come up with any. I mean, decorations, you know, getting dressed up. So that's going to be the end of this episode. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to shift gears a little bit into more of the sci-fi territory, since this is a podcast covering both, and we have focused a lot, because of it being October, on the horror side. So what's that going to entail is John and I going through franchises and stuff that we like, so that we can give you a little bit of the background and information on what our sci-fi experience is, now that you have such an in-depth look at what our horror experiences have been. So be looking forward to that next week. In the meantime, thanks everyone for listening. And if you can rate, review, and subscribe, we would super appreciate it. Also, if you want to see more, you can check us out at our website at wordsforweirdos.com slash porcelainpeak. And if you want to shoot us an email, you can do that at wordsforweirdos at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, so you can check us out there. And again, if you do go ahead and give us that five-star review, then we will give you a shout-out on the next episode. So again, thanks everyone for listening. You have no idea how much we truly appreciate it. And we'll see you guys next week. Take it easy. A Hyperforge Alpha Network production.